Listen, buddy, if you're looking for the diet frozen yogurt bar, it went out of business last summer. Actually, I'm looking for a Batman number 14. To the Coffee and Comics Podcast. You are in for a doozy of an episode today. This time around, I'm covering an entire series. That's right, a whole series from start to finish. Okay, so it's only seven issues, but I promise you, it wasn't started with intentions of being so short. It'll all begin to make sense as we are going along, or I hope it will. This time out, we are looking at issues 0 through 6 of Xenobrood. Xenobrood was published by DC Comics and came out of the 1994 Zero Hour event. Like all books that came out of Zero Hour, it had a special Zero issue. Xenobrood was created by writer Doug Minch and artist Tom Coker. Credits for the issues, writers... Doug Minch, Pencilers, Tom Coker and Chris Hunter, Inkers, Keith Aiken and John Lowe, Colorist, Tom Luth, Letterer, Dan Necrosis, and Editor, Kevin Dooley. And if you're paying attention, yes folks, the Pencilor and Inker switched out halfway through this series, so we'll see how that goes. Starting with Issue Zero. In Kuwait, archaeologist Zechariah Light and his team discover an artifact that shouldn't exist. Zechariah takes the artifact back to America with him, while his team stays behind to translate tablets that will hopefully help detail a mystery period in history. That night, hooded figures attempt to steal the artifact from Zechariah, but disappear in a flash of bright light. Back in America... Zechariah discovers the artifact is actually a case holding four small crystals. He enlists the aid of his ex-girlfriend Lorna in his experiments with the crystals. These experiments lead to the discovery that mixing them with salt water leads them to change physical state, eventually shaping themselves into humanoid forms. One night, the hooded figures from before reappear and once again make an attempt on Zechariah's experiments. Only this time, the humanoid figures come to life and use superpowers to stop the attempted robbery. Afterward, one of the group tells Zechariah that they have protected him and are prepared to obey commands. Moving on to issue number one, the new mysterious superpowered figures addressed as genies proclaim Zechariah as their processor who will serve as their leader, in a sense. They begin to introduce themselves and demonstrate their powers. Astra, Zapatak, Blip, and Thrasher, so named by Zechariah, 
are eager to serve Zechariah, but lack more than the base amount of knowledge of the world they exist in. Zechariah purchases a building, sight unseen, for the Xenobru genies to live in, instead of his own place. It's in a bad part of the city, and they all quickly get involved in an attempted mugging. Blip teleports the lead thug's teeth out of his mouth and rains them down on his head. The rest quickly scatter. Turns out the team's new home is a crack den. Needless to say, Zechariah has the Xenobrood clean house. The gang members who ran the crack den want revenge and set the building on fire when the team is out eating pizza. The Xenobrood save a young man trapped on the roof, but the building burns to the ground. Across the street, a new set of hooded figures have been spying and reporting to their master. In issue two, the Xenobrood's public display of powers backfires on them as they become the newest media sensation. The group rushes back to Lorna's lab, but they are ambushed by reporters. Blip teleports the reporters' clothes and equipment away to Iowa, easily causing the reporters to give up. The next day, however, the Xenobrood are still the highlight of television talk shows and news. Zechariah decides the team should do some good in the world, but Blip has disappeared, gone to the hospital to visit a man suffering from injuries that resulted from her teleporting him. This causes Blip to decide she will never teleport living beings again. Elsewhere, Lord Vimana, master of the hooded figures, unleashes his own set of super-powered figures to bring the Xenobrute to him to use to take over the world. What appears to be a military group comes for the Xenobrute, but they are easily defeated. However, Zechariah and Lorna end up unconscious in the process. They awaken on a jumbo jet that the Xenobrute borrowed at the airport. They are returning back to the dig site where they were found in order to try learning about their origins. At the dig site that night, the Xenobrood fight Vimana's group of warriors. In the midst of the struggle, Zechariah, Lorna, and their work crew fall down into a place under the dig site where the gods lived and worked. Issue 3 shows us that after a drawn-out battle, the Xenobrood are victorious and Zechariah and Lorna rekindle their relationship. The group explore the location and realize it was as much an alien lab as anything else. Upon discovering more crystals like the ones that created the Xenobrood, a mysterious ship shows up and teleports away the creatures that the Xenobrood just found. Back at the research camp, the tablets mentioned several issues ago, have been translated to show that aliens once created beings like the Xenobrood, who then interbred with proto-humans to create modern man. The Xenobrood also learned that as a race, they were essentially created to be the labor force of the alien creatures. During all these revelations, hooded figures steal the remaining crystals from the dig site, unnoticed. Returning to the site, the Xenobrood discover the crystal stolen. As they attempt to escape an alerted Iraqi army, the Xenobrood are stopped by Superman who of course first shows up with angry red eyes of anger, copyright Michael Bailey. Guess what? Yep, they fight. The brood prove insufficient against soups, and the issue ends with Zechariah telling them to stop as Superman demands some answers. Xenobrood, issue number four. 
Zechariah and the Xenobrood talk back and forth, with Zechariah trying his best to convince the Brood that Superman is indeed a hero, while Lorna fawns all over Superman. Superman, in an uncharacteristic move, gets impatient and slams his hands together, knocking everybody down. Turns out Superman is here as a response to the alien craft seen last issue. As Iraqi soldiers begin to appear, the Brood go into action. Superman tries to help, but Zechariah keeps telling him not to so that the Brood may learn to be heroes. Astra manages to stop the soldiers, but Superman flies into action against their tank. Vimana discovers the crystals have gone bad, causing aberrations in the growing process. But he sends them against the Xenobrood anyway. Superman takes out the Iraqi tank while the Brood fight the new foes. The aliens try to use the aberrations in a way to bring down the Brood, but Superman manages to save them by turning the attack back on the UFO. The aliens use the self-destruct as ordered. Superman and the Brood cover the dig site to hide the alien tech, and then Superman has a little bonding time with the Brood as a fellow alien before flying away. In issue number five... The Brood explore part of their home city back in America as they all converge on the GBC Broadcasting Building. Zechariah has made a deal with his reporter friend Nina to get the team some cash so they can hide out. After all, apparently they are still fugitives. Or something. The manager says they can get a million dollars for the interview but demands to know if it's worth the investment. The Brood demonstrate their powers. Blip teleports a clipboard to fall on Mori the manager's head. Zap attack shorts out the lights. Astra possesses Nina and does gymnastics, including a gratuitous panty flash due to the art angle. And Thrasher catches Nina mid-fall as Astra leaves her body. After hearing how Mori wants to market the brood, Zechariah turns down even five million. As they leave, it turns out that they had been sold out to the government guys from issue number two apparently called Project Aquarius. Zechariah awakens in Area 51 and gets interrogated, mostly with him just recapping the series and the Brood's background to this point. Zechariah learns that there may be secret government rulers in effect, when suddenly the base is attacked by Vimana's troops. The Brood escape their bonds to rescue Zechariah and Lorna, plus they stop the alien troops, and managed to prevent the ship from self-destructing this time. The issue ends with them preparing to return to Vimana's base for the big showdown. Issue number six. The team takes the craft to Vimana's base, located on the ocean floor. How did Aquaman not know this was here? Of course, they are immediately attacked upon exiting the craft. After a minor scuffle, Astra leads the brood to where the crystals are being kept. The aliens miss shooting Zechariah and instead destroy the crystals. Vimana appears and chides the Brood for destroying the crystals, but also explains how he wants to use the Brood to help him escape Earth after all these centuries. Even after Vimana shows them what their homeworld is like, the Brood choose to remain on Earth. Vimana activates a complete self-destruct of the base, since he has no hope to get home, I guess, and gives the Brood three minutes to leave. At the Statue of Liberty, Zechariah sets the Brood free to live their lives, and he and Lorna officially get back together. 
Zechariah leaves Nina to do a report on the illegal government helicopters that have been trying to keep track of himself and Lorna, thus getting the feds off their backs. Finally, the brood decide they would rather stay with Zechariah and Lorna after all. The end. Aww. <sighs> okay. While I attempt to muster up the energy to begin talking about my thoughts, let's take a promo break. Who here likes comic books? Who likes superheroes? Who likes superhero comic books? From the 90s! That's what I thought. Hey there! I'm Nathaniel Wayne from the Council of Geeks, and though I've always loved superheroes, the only time I was buying monthly issues was during the much maligned 1990s. I've decided to go through my personal collection, issue by issue, and in my own little way, try to answer the question, were 90s comics really that bad? Chances are the answer will be yes, but I think these books deserve another chance, and they're going to get it on 90s Comics Retrial, part of the Council of Geeks podcast, available on iTunes and at 90scomicsretrial.wordpress.com. Welcome back. Sweet, merciful crap. I'm going to have to cover this all at once instead of picking apart issues, as most of my comments apply universally. Overall, this thing sucks. Yeah. I realize that's probably broad and blunt, but I said what I said, and I'll say it till I'm dead. Zena Brood is a prime example of what is bad about 90s comics, and not even in the EXTREME sort of way. The art, when detailed, is average for DC during this time at best. However, more often than not, we get very little in the way of detailing, and characters end up looking like crudely drawn blobs in the background of things. Thankfully, the characters are designed so differently from each other that it's easy to distinguish who is who when things happen. The dialogue is downright horrendous. I get that this is the 90s, but the slang isn't even halfway right. Thrasher speaks in modified TV slogans, but not even in the halfway clever way the Junkions from Transformers do. Blip's constant demand for orders comes across as both bitchy and subservient. Sometimes word balloons are attributed to the wrong characters, so it looks like somebody is answering themselves, or knows something they shouldn't. The overall plot of ancient aliens being the gods who helped jumpstart the human race is all kinds of tropes and Scientology and everything else wrapped into a nice little package complete with a bow. And I can forgive that regardless of how much I actually don't care for these plots. That's just part of sci-fi. However, the fact that the Xenobrood is supposed to fit into the overall DCU causes this to be completely asinine. This is a universe where the gods of Olympus actually exist. This story is only a few years ahead of Zariel, an honest-to-god angel from heaven, being in the JLA. I seriously wouldn't have thought DC's Pantheon had room for aliens creating life. <sighs> Speaking of fitting into the DCU proper, how the heck did Aquaman or some other Atlanteans not find Vimana's base? 
Seriously, somebody's falling down on the job. Yes, the oceans are vast, but come on. Thousands of years and nobody ever swam close by? The most terrible example here, though, is Superman. Clark is instantly fed up with everything here, almost as if he's supposed to be speaking for the readers. Yes, he finally does Superman stuff a little later. But even then, I almost expected him to be a Darlin or something. So, do I have anything nice to say about Xenobrood? Well, the power set for the team was interesting. The characters themselves probably could have grown into something a little more enjoyable if given the proper writing team and plots available. The concept was mostly solid. It just didn't quite get a good enough creative boost, which is kind of a shame. If you are genuinely curious, sure, go ahead and pick up Xenobrood from a quarter bin. A little hard to complain too much if you get the whole storyline for under two bucks. And yes, I did indeed buy this whole thing from a quarter bin. Do I want my money back? Nah, I'm glad I finally read this book 20-something years later. However, I'll gladly trade Xenobrood for random issues of Primal Force or Sovereign 7, both of which bombed around the same time, but not nearly as badly. Alright, let's take another break while I resist the urge to make this the Whiskey and Comics podcast. I'll be back with some listener feedback. Hello, Paul. Hello. I am Dr. Herfi Stafner. Come in, come in, please. Take a seat. Take a seat. What can I do for you today? Uh, just, I just, I'm, I can't sleep. I, I, I can't focus on anything. The only thing I can think about is, like, DC events. DC events? As in the comic books? DC events? Yes, yes. The comic book events. Ooh, interesting. Uh, are we we talking things like Crisis on Infinite Earths? Yeah, yeah, totally. That one, yeah. Uh, Infinite Crisis? Yeah, yeah, that one too. Oh, very, very... Invasion, maybe? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, the, uh, the Genesis? Uh, not so much. No? Oh. Okay, well, I think it's really good if you talk about the things that are troubling you in your life. So, maybe you should do a podcast about this obsession. What, what, what do you call this obsession? What do you think it is? I think you're a unique case. I've not seen anything like this before in my office. I'm going to suggest that you have what we call DCOCD. What? DCOCD? You are obsessive and compulsive about your DC events. I think you should talk it out. Get it out of your system via a podcast. I will help you, my friend. We shall do a podcast together about your DC OCD. Oh, okay. When I won't even start? charge you for it. <laughs> awesome. I don't think I can claim you on benefits. <clears throat> yeah, it's good. <laughs> when shall we start? Um, I'll get back to you on that. I'll check my. I'll check my timetable. Okay, and we're back.
Uh, just a quick note, no new iTunes reviews, but please do get them in. Remember, I am running a contest until January 31st for that autographed copy of a Detective Comics signed by Barry Kitson. Be a random drawing. All you got to do is put that iTunes review in. Come on. You still got time, people. All right. So last episode, which was our Christmas episode covering uh, the Gen 13 Christmas caper, saw love on Twitter from Longbox Crusade. Jared Albrecht, the yard sale artist, Cash Flag, Comics in the Golden Age, Professor Frenzy, Drew Love, Stacy Mixon, Lamont Cranston, Old Mac at JPUVH, Chris from Bat Books for Beginners, Dr. Ange of the Supergirl blog Comic Box Commentary, Ollie Queen at Queen underscore Ollie, Eli at EL Knight 20. That's Knight with a K, by the way. DSNRS, which be our good friends Darren and Ruth Sutherland. Sean Heckerty at 10K Beers. C. Isabel Brain. Gulliver Foyle. Brian Mulvey. Stella of the Batgirl to Oracle podcast. Longbox of Darkness. And Rad Adventures Network. On Facebook, we got likes and shares from Pat Sampson, The Longbox Crusade, Martin Gray, Mike Peacock, Gene Hendricks, Joe Crawford, Michael Allen Carlisle, Ruth and Darren Sutherland, Jerry Green, and for the non-discerning reader. If I missed anybody or said your name wrong, please correct me, let me know, and I will get to you on the next podcast. We didn't get a ton of feedback on the last episode, but our good friend, the daring Darren Sutherland of the Rad Adventures Network, wrote in. He said, Great Christmas episode. I read Gen 13 for quite a while when it first launched, but had dropped it by this time, so it was fun to hear you cover the story. It sounded like a fun issue, and your commentary was tops as always. Thank you, Darren. Glad you enjoyed it. Darren and his wife, Ruth, just added a new show to their network talking about great detectives in fiction. You should really check it out. It's on their Rad Adventures feed. So, that looks like it will do it for this episode. I want to give my thanks to the Council of Geeks for use of the extreme sound. That is copyright Nathaniel Wayne from the 90s Comics Retrial Collection. I do appreciate him letting me use this. And I appreciate all of you for listening to this episode. So please, stick with us and come back where the comics are never too old and the coffee is never too cold. This has been a Coffee and Comics production. All material referenced herein is copyright the respective owners and is believed covered under fair use. Feedback can be left by emailing coffeeandcomicspodcast at gmail.com, visiting the website at coffeeandcomicspodcast.blogspot.com, or on Twitter at coffeecomicsblg.